0: looking at a passage from the book of Philippians, if you want to turn there. Paul's New Testament letter. Philippians chapter three, and we're gonna start second half of verse four. When you found that I'll read it together for us. Philippians four beginning of verse three sorry, three beginning of verse four A. I messed up here. Paul says this if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Only let us hold true or hold fast to what we have attained. Mm. This is God's Word. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us quickly and then we'll dive into this. Spirit of God, would you illumine the preaching of your Word? Mm. These are your words to us, not mine, put in place thousands of years ago and yet because you wrote them, still speak to us today. And so God, speak to us by your Word. Accomplish the purpose for which you sent it out in each person who hears it today just as you've accomplished that in me this week. And as I always ask now, eternal God, move and govern my tongue to speak your truth. Amen. So we uh, just finished this summer teaching series last week through the life of Joseph. A series that we called Meant for Good with the subtitle, maybe you didn't even know this, the subtitle of The Many Colored Coats of Spiritual Formation. And if you weren't with us for any part of that series, what I tried to highlight through our time in Joseph's life was not simply the way God led Joseph from pit to palace, uh, working and redeeming all the difficult, challenging, random, seemingly unjust circumstances of his life in order to bring about the saving of many lives, but also the way that God was shaping and forming Joseph himself the whole time in order to bring about his good work that he'd begun in Joseph. Which ultimately, what that's describing is the process of spiritual formation. The process whereby we work alongside God in order to bring about to completion the good work that He began in us. That's what Paul talks about back in chapter 1 in verse 6 of Philippians. Hmm. This whole idea of God shaping and molding us more and more into the image of Christ. But something that I think is incredibly important to keep in mind is that just because we saw Joseph transition into a number of different coats, and we had a... The coat of many colors, the coat of a slave, the coat of a prisoner, and then finally Genesis 50 kind of like begins to pan out. We see the, the credits beginning to run on Joseph's life as the coat of the prince. The point is, that doesn't mean, just because we've seen that, that God's work was now complete in Joseph's life. That's where Genesis stops telling the story, but that doesn't mean that God's work in Joseph was now complete and I point that out because for the majority of us I don't know maybe we've just been so trained by movies or video games or whatever it is we think well it's got to be done now of course it's got to be over in the same way that we think 20 years in preaching to the gentiles writing books of the bible uh, 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 maintaining his faith despite stonings and persecution we think Paul's work it's got to be done too like they, we just think like look at all that they've gone through Look at all that they've learned over the course of their lives. Look at the the many different skills and abilities and outfits that they put on, multiple different boss levels that they've completed. Surely they're complete now. They must be complete. God's work has to be over. And I'll just speak for myself, but I think the question embedded within that assumption that God's work must be complete is how much formation is enough? Hmm. When 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 is this work of formation going to be done, for me? Like how many more trials? How many more seasons of, of training? How many more chisel blows is God going to have to do in my life before God can at last look me over and be like, Yeah yeah, you're good, you're good, you you've been formed enough, can take the rest of your life off. When when is that coming? Which although admirable, is I think what freaks most of us out when we read the Apostle Paul. Like the Apostle Paul saying, not that I've already obtained this, or I've already been made perfect. We're just like, I'm sorry, what? Wait, 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 no. Paul's not done yet? Okay, because, now that's scary. Because if, if Paul's not done, after all that he's done and all he's accomplished at this stage of his life, then what possible hope is there that I'm ever going to make it? Yeah. How am I ever going to do this? Well, thankfully, where Joseph simply lives out the answer to that question over the course of his life, the Apostle Paul tells us how explicitly in our passage today. Revealing the pathway to thriving under what we come to learn is the lifelong process of formation God takes each one of us through, lies in forgetting what's past, striving forward to what is ahead, and in holding fast to what we've already obtained which hopefully as a preacher, that's just gold for us, because that gives me a nice three-point outline in order to look at our passage today and and hopefully begin to approach the work of spiritual formation in our own lives with anticipation rather than anxiety. Looking at that with with a determination rather than dread. Hmm. So what I want to look at is just those three things. We'll look at the necessity of forgetfulness, the superior value of what lies ahead. And then lastly, learning our lessons well. It's those three things. So if you've closed your Bibles, your Bible app, whatever it is, would you open them again with me to that passage? Philippians 3, beginning at verse 4. Follow along with me as we learn together, through Paul's example, what it looks like, as well as what it means to be continually formed by the Gospel. Okay, so let's look first of all at the necessity of forgetfulness. Necessity of forgetfulness. Now, sure, we can read there in verse 13, if you look, Paul talks about forgetting what lies behind him. We can see that he states that as the first essential step needed in spiritual formation. But the question you might ask is why? Like, Why would something like forgetfulness be so important to the process of spiritual formation to begin with? Why do we need that? And I think the answer has everything to do with the way the past has a powerful ability to affect the future. And I think it can do that in at least two ways. The first has to do with Paul's kind of CV of religious super pedigree that he lists there in verses 4 through 6. Because everything that Paul lists on that, on that list that he puts out for us about why he, he has a superior pedigree to everyone else are, are these lists of past achievements that he saw as earning his righteousness, earning right standing before God, what he calls a righteousness of my own, there at the beginning of verse 9. The problem is that a righteousness of our own is not the same as the righteousness that comes from God through faith, which Paul talks about in the second half of verse 9. That's a righteousness which unfortunately has nothing to do with our effort, past, present or future, and everything to do with faith in the debt-canceling work of God alone. Amen. Which means, unfortunately for Paul, what he came to learn is that all that his efforts had earned over the course of his life was really just a certificate of good behavior. Well done. Not not right standing before God. And so in order to be truly righteous, Paul would have to let go of. He would have to forget his own list of achievements and take hold of Jesus' achievement instead. And I think this is the way that the past can keep us stuck, can keep us hindered in our own spiritual growth in the future as well, because as long as we are carrying around a list of religious achievements that we feel have made us already spiritually mature, or mature enough, we will ignore and push away any other forming work of God in our lives. Why? Well, because we feel like we don't really need it anymore. I've, I've matured enough, I've gotten to a good level uh, of spiritual maturity, so I'm, I'm pretty much good now. Yeah. So the question that you and I need to be able to answer, if we want to work alongside the work of God in our lives and not against it, is well, what do you have on your list? What's on your list? What is that thing, past or present achievement, that, that hard situation you struggled through, Whatever it is that you feel gives you credit before God and makes you a good and holy person. What's on the list? Paul says, whatever you got on that list, if you think that that is accomplishing anything towards your right standing before God, it's hindering you. It's actually keeping you stuck in one place. And the only way to get unstuck is to do some of the radical accounting that we see Paul doing there in verses 7 and 8. Look there. Where, where you begin to move whatever those things are that you've counted as credits, that you've counted as assets, and you move them over into the debit, into the loss side of the ledger. You are forgetting them. Not, not in the sense that you can't remember them anymore. I don't think I've done anything for God. No. In the, in the, Walter Hansen uh, hopefully explains what Paul meant by forgetting when he says, Forgetting is not passive loss of memory, but an active continuous discipline of the heart and mind. That's what Paul means by forgetting. So so not literally forgetting, but forgetting in the sense that you intentionally choose not to count those good deeds in any way towards your righteousness before God. Because, as Paul had to learn the hard way, because they don't. Yeah. They don't count. The second way that the past can powerfully affect the future has to do with what I see as really one of the darkest sections in Paul's past which actually he lists ironically in that same list of religious achievement beginning at verse 6 where he talks about being so zealous a follower of the law that he persecuted the church mm. for part of Paul's past if you didn't know this that could have easily led him to being stuck all the way back at the beginning feeling that he could have never be seen as righteous before God was what we read about in the book of Acts chapter 8 and 9 where Paul in, in his zealous, zealousness for the law and with high priest approval went around seeking to stamp out every single person, every single bit of existence of that fake Messiah Jesus yep. and any of his followers called the way. Until that is before God's upward call just stops him in his tracks. <laughs> Jesus is basically just like, no actually you're going to play for my team. And yes, but the thing is that, that, that Paul's Paul's past had this powerful ability, in this sense, to also hinder his growth because it kept him stuck, or it could have kept him stuck, in that place of I could never be righteous. God's work could never accomplish that. I me." Mean, look what I've done. And when you think about Paul's past, yeah, it's pretty dark. I mean, persecuting the church, imprisoning, putting to death Christians, that makes most of our dark pasts look like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, but the point is, it doesn't even matter, actually. It doesn't matter whether it's our dark histories or even present struggles with sin. It can still have the exact same effect in our lives of hindering our spiritual growth, keeping us stuck. Because as long as we're carrying around that that scarlet letter of guilt from our past, we'll also ignore. We'll also push away any other forming work of God in our lives. Not because we think we don't need it, but because we feel like, I don't deserve it. I could never be worthy of God's work in my life. Look at what I've done. So whatever that past thing is for you that you've been carrying around with you, forgetting what lies behind, getting unstuck in this sense involves a similarly radical accounting procedure. Only in this sense, now what we do is we actually hand over the ledger to Jesus and let him do the accounting work. Because what he does here is, like we saw with Joseph's brothers last week, when we can finally receive his grace, we can finally believe what He's accomplished for us on his on, on our account, we see that He actually blocks out every bit of debit on our account yeah. and credits our asset side in full with His own righteousness. Amen. That's the message of the Gospel, of what He's accomplished for us. And, and when we believe that, then we are forgetting. We are, we are learning how to forget the past in the way that Paul has described here. Again, yeah, not in a sense of forgetting any of our debts before God but choosing intentionally not to count them any longer towards your unrighteousness yep. according to your unworthiness of God because again, as Paul taught and experienced himself they don't count anymore God, <laughs> they, <don't count> <laughs> they don't count anymore Yeah. point is whether it's confirming or condemning the past, although yes it's an important part of our understanding and whole experience of life when it leads us to either rest on our laurels or shrink back from uh, an an unworthiness from God's upward call, the past can also be one of the biggest hindrances to future growth in our lives which is why Paul says the very first step in our own spiritual formation needs to involve forgetting, to involve not counting, to involve letting go of what is behind us one author said it Moving from the past moving on from the past is like crossing the monkey bars. You have to let go at some point in order to move forward. And having undone the powerful ability of the past to hinder our spiritual growth in either one of those senses by forgetting in the way that Paul uses that term, we're enabled by God's grace to then press on to the higher heights, to the deeper depths that are available and that lie ahead the moment we come to see the superior value of what lies ahead. Superior value of what lies ahead. And where you see Paul's experience and explanation of that next essential step is in verses 7 through 10 of our passage, where at each stage of that radical accounting taking place, with what we just finished talking about, Paul says Christ. Christ is the thing that empowers him, that that motivates and emboldens him both to forget what lies behind, but also to press forward into what lies ahead. Christ is the thing that does that, which is incredibly important to get, because sometimes it's not thinking about the past that hinders our spiritual growth. It's what we think about the future that does that. What we believe about the future can also hinder our spiritual growth, keep us stuck, For Paul, a future with Christ and everything that goes along with the relationship with him is more than enough motivation. When he saw that for what it is, more than enough motivation to take his super spiritual resume and run it through the paper shredder. But notice, it's not just Christ. It's not Christ like, you know, Jesus was the answer to every question your Sunday school teacher asked you growing up. It's not just, (laughs) the answer is Jesus. But it's like, the answer is Knowing Christ as my Lord, he says. Mm. Knowing Jesus more and more deeply, being found in him. Being made more and more identified deeply with him. Found sharing in his sufferings. being Looking more and more like him in his sacrifice. That's what Paul said. He saw as having a superior value. And when you look again at that list of things he says, it's all actually the language of spiritual formation. And if you think about it, seeing something as having superior value, that's that's exactly what we need any time we're faced with having to let go of something we currently hold on to that we don't want to. We need to see something of superior value. Some of you might be familiar with a, an old sermon by a Puritan pastor, Thomas Chalmers, called The Expulsive Power of a Superior Affection. Which I know sounds like super fancy-dancy, maybe beyond your pay grade, but all it's simply describing is the way that it's just the, the, way, the everyday process whereby we are motivated towards change when we see something being offered to us that is superior value of superior value to what we currently hold on to. Mm-hmm. So for example like someone offering to exchange your dial up internet connection with high speed internet. Someone wanted to upgrade your nosebleed tickets to to rake side right behind the bench seats like What's being offered is of such superior value, and you see it as superior value, you don't even need to to think about it. You don't need to consult your you know financial planner first. You're like, no, I'll take that. That's way better. It's a motivating factor when you see it for what it is. Yep. The point is, the decision is just obvious to you. And what Paul is trying to show us here is that when you really see Jesus, when you really see what it means to be made like Him, as the superior treasure that it is, you'll trade anything in order to have more of it. You'll trade anything to have more of Him, be made more like Him. And when you kind of take that out of 2,000 years ago, the theoretical, and put it into our own lives today, what that might look like in your own life, what it is that might be hindering you and keeping you stuck and, and unmotivated in your spiritual formation, is to ask yourself the important question of, do I see Jesus as the treasure that He truly is? Mm. Am I seeing mm. being made more like Him? Is that a good thing? Something that is of superior value to what I currently have? Yeah. And it's a, question, it's a question that anyone could answer or, or think about, regardless of where you're at in your faith right now, but I think the question is specifically, especially important for those of you who grew up in the church, or if you have spent a long time, you had a relationship with Jesus for a number of years, because, and, and I don't know if you've experienced this yourself, I know I have. Over time, there can become this just familiarity. Yep. Familiarity with Jesus, with the message of the gospel, and all these things over time. Where you come eventually to the false conclusion that, Okay, Jesus, I know who that is. I know what that is. I got that part figured out, now let's move on with whatever else. And we're out of that understanding of jesus you develop this safe predictable kind of interaction with him where on my side okay i agree i'm going to show up to church two out of four sundays a month Uh, i'm going to pray before trips and meals and you know what i'll I'll engage in some kind of daily devotion through through the week and jesus your part for what you do i'm asking you to bless and protect me and make sure you don't bring anything too too challenging into my life you just develop this rhythm it's just safe and predictable that we move forward in. But, but, but don't you see? First of all, that's the exact same problem we had with the spiritual resume, where, where you're bargaining with God for how much He's allowed to form you. But The second thing, the bigger problem with that, that's not at all what we've been called into in a relationship with Jesus. Amen. Amen. The good work that God began in you is not behavior modification. He doesn't want to do just some slight tweaks and modifications here and there it's a radical transformation of every part of our lives that's what we've been called into yep. Yep. death to sin and to self and learning to walk in this new life that he creates in us it's radically transforming every part of us and so if you believe that you you're thinking you've created this kind of safe predictable interaction relationship with Jesus, problem is Jesus is not safe is, is not safe mm-hmm. like remember what mr beaver said to lucy there and that c.s lewis's classic line the witch in the wardrobe safe who said anything about safe of course he's not safe but he's good and that last good part man. how good he is that's the most important part because yeah a lot of times what he leads you into it's not going to feel safe but because his plans for you are good you can trust and walk into it because you know the end that He's bringing you towards is a good end. Amen. And in light of that, it makes me wonder if what's really keeping you and I stuck, really keeping us plateaued in our formation and not straining, not not pressing forward with all that we have to take hold of this incredible depth, incredible riches ahead like we see Paul doing is because we've lost sight of who Jesus really is traded it in for this safe, predictable Jesus. We've lost sight of Him and His sovereign holiness, his, his power, His beauty, His infinitely superior value of this God who saved us. That's the Bible's picture of Jesus. And gradually, very slowly, over time, we've traded that in for a Jesus that is positive and encouraging, safe for the whole family. Praise 106.5 version of Jesus. <laughs> that would never correct you, would never challenge you in any way, never call you to do anything that might feel scary or outside of your comfort level. He would never call you to be a faithful presence in a Taliban-occupied Afghanistan. Hmm. Never ask you to lay down anything that you currently treasure in order to have more of him. What we've been called into is not safe. It's not predictable. Paul's trying to show us that here. It's not safe. It, it it will cost you everything. But what he's trying to say is, but it's worth everything. It's worth it. Uh, earlier in Matthew 13, Jesus tells a parable about a man who found a treasure in a field and with joy, not pondering it for weeks, not checking in with his financial advisor. With joy, he sells everything he can in order to buy that field and gain that treasure. And listen to me, church. Jesus is that treasure. Yeah. Amen. He's worth sacrificing anything and everything in order to be found in him, in order to be made more like him. Mm -hmm. So if you want to get unstuck, if you want to press forward into all that he has for you, I think what we need to do is to strive to regain a true vision of Jesus, of His infinitely superior value, so that the decision, when it comes down to do I want what I've got or more of Him, the decision is obvious to you. We need to regain that true picture of who He really is. Okay, so that's the necessity of forgetfulness, the superior value of what lies ahead. Last thing I want to look at quickly is learning your lessons well. Learning your lessons well. And where you see this, Paul pointing out this last important step to thriving under the lifelong process of spiritual formation is there in verse 16 of our passage. Look there. Paul closes out this section of instruction saying, only let us hold true, or let us hold fast to what we have attained. And I think what Paul is getting at there is simply calling us To a cumulative understanding of our spiritual formation, a cumulative like building upon each other kind of understanding of our salvation. Like for example, I don't know how many of you have ever tried to train someone to do something before. Maybe it was uh, an employee, maybe it was a friend helping you, with trying to show them how to do the task. And the hope is that over time, as you train them step by step on the different things, that, that you'll build on that training so eventually I can teach you to do the harder, more challenging parts. I show yeah. you the basics and then we can build on that. I don't have the frustrating task having to go back and show you the same introductory tasks all over again. You, you've learned them. You've held fast to what you've already learned. I think that's what Paul's getting at here. Holding fast to what we've already attained. Making use of that foundation that we've already built in our relationship. Uh, There's a similar exhortation that we read about in the book of Hebrews. The author states this. He's been talking all about Christ and the infinite value of Him, the superior nature of Him, and then he says, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain to you since you become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have, have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. As you think about how to apply this last step, Paul presents here in our own lives, I think, it's exactly as I've encouraged us again and again many times over the years which is simply to say Jesus shouldn't have to start at zero every time a new challenge or trial comes into your life to form you he shouldn't have to go back and lay the same foundations again with you from the beginning, now he's patient and he's kind and he will but it's hindering our formation if every time a new trial comes he's got to go back and lay the foundation once again with you which isn't to say that these trials aren't difficult or or hard when they come or to say that you know it's just it's never going to be scary or challenging absolutely it will be it was for joseph we saw that in his life it was for paul we see that throughout his life it's simply to say that over time the cumulative effect of our formation should mean that we begin to view and respond to those challenges and trials differently. Same way that when you're first learning to drive, everything feels new, everything's like, what does this do, and I don't know how that works. But then eventually over time, even when challenges like busy traffic, a, a scary weather comes in, you respond differently to those things. You don't suddenly forget how to drive, or how do I, how do I signal to change lanes again? Like, you, you already know the basics, and you can build off that into growing in your experience and maturity as a driver. Yep. Spiritually speaking, what that means is that we face failure, we face fearful circumstances, we face loss in life. We no longer revert immediately to some of those statements we might have said from the beginning. Like, I guess Jesus has given up on me now. I guess Jesus doesn't care about me. I must have just screwed up too many times. He's just given up on me. This sin is... is too much for Jesus to forgive. We don't go back to statements we used to make like that at the beginning. We build on our understanding of grace, of His mercy to us, of His kindness and love that He's shown to us again and again. We build off that. We use the language that we've been using throughout this. We saw how the past can affect uh, the way we see the future. We've seen how, how we see the future can affect our formation. What this is showing us is the way that we need to make sure that our present circumstances don't keep us from moving forward, don't make us stuck in our maturing spiritual formation. We build off the foundation that he's already laid in us and move forward. Being confident of this, Paul says there in Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. It's a promise of God to every single person in whom his good work has begun. He will bring it to completion, which means spiritual formation is not an optional elective for the, the super spiritual to embark on. It's not a temporary boot camp for the spiritually weak or out of shape. It is the understood <laughs> promise. To everyone in whom the good work of God has begun. And As we come to see, it's a lifelong process that He takes us through, through the course of our lives. But as we've seen from our passage today, rather than being something to fear, rather than being something to dread, like, man, what did I sign up for? It's a process of infinite value that's meant for our good. It's a treasure worth sacrificing anything and everything for. Mm-hmm. And as we strive towards this upward call of God ourselves, both individually as well as collectively as a church, one of the the true gifts of what Paul writes here, and I want to just point this out in closing, is the humility that he brings to it. The humility in this passage where he says that even he has not yet been fully formed. He's not being made perfect. Because in doing that, both for his first readers as well as for us, I think what that allows us to do is just just breathe, to let down our guards, to give up our pretense of perfection, pretending like we've got everything worked out, it gives us the freedom to see ourselves and one another as people who are in process, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as those who are being <laughs> formed, not those who already are. And as a result, allows us to be a lot more gracious, a lot more patient with one another along the way, as well as with ourselves we are people in process and I don't know about you, although it's messier there's certainly more potential for, for failure I, I think I, I want to be a child of God who's in process yeah. I want to be that. Well, a child of God who's who's in the making because people in process, one of the things I love about them is that they're learners people in process are, are people who listen and ask questions They're open to what God has to show them next because they don't feel like they've already reached it. They approach people and circumstances in life as a student rather than an expert. And I think they're just a whole lot easier to be around. (laughs) So I I like people who are in process. I want to be one of those people. So do you know what? I, I want to, along with Paul, I am glad to confess to each one of you this morning that I have not obtained all the fullness of what Jesus still wants to form in me. I have not been made perfect, and and what's awesome about that is I've I've seen Jesus do a lot of credible and incredible stuff in my life. So how cool is that to know that there's so much more? There's more that He has to reveal to me, more of Himself, more of the treasures of Him that I still have yet to obtain. Yep, yep. And like Him, I too I want to forget what lies behind me, either my successes or my failures. I want to strive to walk forward to what's ahead. And I want to hold fast to what we've already obtained. And I want to do that together with each of you. That's that's who it is we want to be as a church family. As as people who are in process, striving alongside one another together. That in His time and by His grace alone, we may at last, when Christ returns or, or calls us home, we may at last take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Amen. That's our goal. That's our aim. I'm glad to be on the process with you. Mm.